This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. If you have rheumatoid arthritis and you want certainty about how to eat to reduce inflammation and reduce your C-reactive protein and SED rate and reduce your risk factor of developing other chronic diseases, then this presentation is for you. It's the result of many, many years of reading and interpreting the scientific literature and then combining that with the observation of what works amongst thousands of people in our worldwide community and the feedback that they have provided. Together, this information, I hope, will serve you to make wonderful choices around your meals and to live a healthier, happier life. I originally gave this presentation on my friend Chef AJ's channel as a guest, and now I'm able to share it with you right here on the Rheumatoid Solutions channel. And here it is. What we're going to go through today is just the dietary component of how we try and uh, reverse the symptoms of rheumatoid. There are other portions of this that I'm not going to cover in detail today, but Chef AJ and I have set up six months of uh, these uh, monthly live calls. So I'll be able to cover off the other three and also some other information around this in future talks. So uh, don't worry, we will get to it all. It's all going to be free. And today we're going to do the one in green, which is the gut solution for this condition. But the others are crucial as well. And I don't want to put out some sort of disappointing information at, at right at the start of this talk, but the realistic information that I need to share is that if we have such a strong, challenging condition as rheumatoid and we only change our diet and we only uh, we do not make any other modifications, we are likely to see significant improvements and ones that are satisfying, but the euphoric state of building complete confidence and control over your condition only comes if we do all of it. It's just that big of a David and Goliath situation that we need to take into account uh, the holistic approach. And I like to refer to the diet as the concrete slab as we're trying to rebuild our health of, 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 of a, a house of health as a concrete slab, which is a, uh, a dietary platform that we'll talk about. And then exercise, mindset, a couple of essential supplements, stress reduction, and other uh, cellular health, these other things contribute to the rest of the building of the house. But let's get into uh, what we're going to cover today. Uh, so what to expect in this talk. I'm going to go over briefly my journey. If you want to see more about all my struggles and and have a look at all of the nightmarish things I've been through. Uh, I've covered that in other presentations on our YouTube channel, also on our podcast. So I uh, talked about this a lot. So I'll give you the very quick version today to optimize our time on all the other bullet points, which is how can diet affect rheumatoid arthritis when you've got you know, inflammation in joints? What's that got to do with your gut, which seems to be a long way disconnected from uh, the joints in a physical sense? Uh, and then what foods can make rheumatoid worse? What foods can make rheumatoid better? And what does the science say about all this? Because it doesn't matter what my opinion is whatsoever. It only matters what the science says. And we'll take a good look at that. And then can we even do better than the current science? Can we even put together a plan that incorporates more strategies from different sources, also scientific, but to put them all together? And that will be our new approach for rheumatoid arthritis. And how does that compare to the old approaches and other dietary approaches that make some claims uh, out there and sell lots of books? But uh, in my view, when I show the science, uh, are not supported by the science. Um, and then how to get onto this new diet and what troubles what troubles you might have in can, moving across from one diet to the to another, and then uh, frequently asked questions. So, uh, Chef AJ, I cannot see 
um, if we're getting questions as we go through this from the live audience. But Oh, um, yes. I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you. If you want me to tell you questions as they've been submitted, I'm happy to. A couple of people have asked, is what you're going to explain, could that also help with psoriatic arthritis? Yeah, great question. And thank you. Uh, so, yes, psoriatic arthritis, very, very similar to rheumatoid Um in fact, from a treatment point of view, it's identical. So what we'll be talking about is 100% overlap. And people that we've assisted through our program have uh, some of the best results that we've seen have been with psoriatic arthritis. Uh, let's. What we'll do is um, if something comes up, a question that's relevant to a slide that you think would be really helpful to ask, uh, you can ask me. Otherwise, we'll knock them out at the end. It's up to you. I don't mind. Uh, learning the hard way. So uh, let's have a look at what I went through. Uh, back in 2006, when I was diagnosed, there was no podcast to listen to about reversing rheumatoid. There was no books on the internet that you could buy to tell you how to heal your gut and so on. So I went through a lot of this uh, in a pioneering and failing manner. And uh, uh, my joints were very much out of control. Uh, that's my left hand, uh, my my index and middle finger. And you can see uh, my knee bottom right hand corner of the screen. And I only after three years after diagnosis had to have surgery on my left elbow, a complete synovectomy surgery because it got into a 90 degree position. And when it was in that position, it was extremely swollen and very, very painful. And my uh, doctors advised me that if it hurts, don't move it. Well, that turned out to be the number one worst possible advice you could ever give someone with a swollen, sore, inflammatory joint. Because once you stop movement, you, like the saying says, if you don't move it, you lose it. Well, I lost it and I had to have uh, surgery on that elbow. So what I did since then is decide that it was crucial to move joints when they were inflamed. And that's been the backbone of much of our teachings uh, over the last 10 years since we set up our business to help people with uh, rheumatoid arthritis since I gave a TED talk back in around 2014, which became really popular. Okay. Um, so my first discovery as to the connection between diet and rheumatoid arthritis was after I ate a whole bunch of imported cherries without washing my hands on a long trip. And I ate those cherries by the handfuls. And by the time we'd gotten back from the trip in the country, uh, I felt a gurgling going on in my stomach and bowel that did not feel good. Uh, and then uh, I think I walked in the door and within a few minutes running to the toilet and I purged from back end and end nonstop for about three or four hours. Um, it, was, it was really, really, really sort of violent food poisoning that I had. And I just curled up in the fetal position and didn't eat until about uh, 4 p.m. the next afternoon. Now, what was crazy about that is that this absolutely eliminated my joint pain. And it absolutely uh, was mind-blowing because I that because I wasn't moving and lying in bed that I would have more joint pain, but instead I had almost none after 24 hours. So I thought that the purging was at the diary was it just because I wasn't eating anything? So three weeks later, when I recovered, I uh, decided to do some celery and cucumber juice um, cleansing. This was before medical meetings making famous of celery juice. We sort of come up with this by ourselves, my wife and I, um, just by experimenting with juicing various green uh, uh, vegetables and fish my body was. And so I said, let's do that. And what happened is after three days of eating and just juicing with water and celery and cucumber juice, what do you know? No pain. Okay. So then I decided, let's look at what the science says. And I went and started looking into the medical literature, which I had ignored by this point, because I'd been told there was no connection between diet and inflammatory arthritis. There's nothing you can do except take the medications, which I had been taking uh, like a good student uh, and I was still worsening. And so when I went and decided studies, uh, you know, PubMed and so forth, uh, I found out it wasn't just me, but 100% of RA patients all improve if they do a seven-day water fast. And so, okay, so there has to be something to do with the digestive system because when folks with rheumatoid arthritis don't eat, we feel really, really good. 
At the time, I didn't appreciate a little footnote that I'll put right, which is when the body has no calories coming in or insufficient calories, the immune system prioritizes the inflammatory process. And so, yes, there is a connection between uh, not eating and inflammation due to what we'll talk about in a moment, which is leaky gut, uh, intestinal permeability. But there is also a component the immune system just deprioritizes itself over just um, survival mode with uh, a calorie restricted state. But I didn't know that portion. I thought 100% I'm going to work out what to eat because my gut has a role in this. So I thought, what am I going to eat? And I applied a lot of scientific experimentation to this. Um, Chef AJ and I, for most people who know Chef AJ actually uh, does stand-up comedy and she's been in entertainment for a long time. Uh, likewise, I've been doing stand-up comedy and been involved in especially corporate entertainment for 22 years. So I've been uh, doing that a long time. But prior to that, I did a, a laser physics degree and achieved a whole uh, stack of accolades, awards, certificates, and even prize money of all things from the uh, industry sector for research that I'd done on, believe it or not, uh, optical fiber technology and laser light ability to impart what's called uh, fiber break gratings into, into optical fibers. Very different field than what I'm in now. But I did learn through those years of research and working in a high-tech company, the methodology of scientific research. And so I applied that to my eating and I was testing ice foods, testing And what I found was working best for me in the early stages when I was really, really inflamed um, was a raw food plant-based diet. So I went on a 100% raw food diet. And this was very, very difficult. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of weight loss. I've always been thin, so I've, I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, but I prioritized pain reduction over muscle retention. And so I was able to sustain a raw vegan diet for eight months. And then I moved from there and was able to eat some cooked pseudo grains like quinoa, buckwheat, amaranth. And I was able to transition onto some more of these cooked foods, which changed my life because I was really finding it hard on the raw food diet. And then, so that central diet, which does look really basic and simple, there actually is some sweet potatoes in there as well, um, was actually a step up for me. Like for most people, that would be, oh my God, that looks hard. Well, for me, that was like a breakthrough. Uh, and then I went across to what I eat and have been eating since 2009, which is a whole food plant-based diet with no oils. And, uh, you know, our family eat lots of curries and meals and beans, lots of rice, uh, potatoes, you know, very McDougal-ish, McDougal diet sort of stuff with an emphasis on leafy greens, tons and tons of leafy greens. So that was my personal evolution. And um, I was able to come my methotrexate that I was on. I was on maximum dose of methotrexate at one point. And methotrexate is the most common rheumatoid arthritis medication. And I, at one point, was being told that I'd need to not only stay on the methotrexate, but add biologic drugs because my symptoms were so severe and my inflammatory markers were so elevated. At one point, my C-reactive protein was 56 milligrams per liter. It's meant to be under five. And I've found over the years, though, that I only feel symptom-free if it's under one. And I got to 55. All right, so I got my C-reactive protein back to normal, came off the methotrexate. And just for completeness, you might recall uh, earlier, uh, the swelling in my knee, I was able to get that under control and be able to run it for the first time, as you can see in this video. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you'll remember my fingers and the elbow surgery and all the struggles I had on that front. Uh, this was the other day at the gym. This is only about three weeks ago, just to give you an idea of the transformation. Wow. I finished that off with three pull-ups, but I won't tell you that you get the point of what's going on there. 
And my beautiful wife, Melissa, who is from Florida, uh, and I at one point were facing the reality of no children. And you can see now that we have three beautiful little kitties. This is us in our Christmas pajamas, which is my wife's tradition each year. We have to dress up in some silly uh, Christmas uh, matching outfits and uh, and get photos done. Uh, and so this was about a month ago. And that's Angelina, and she's the eldest. And we named her, her name is after Little Angel. And the middle one is called Ariel, and I joke that we named her after a font. And <laughs> or the Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. She was born underwater in a in a bath, so uh, it's appropriate. And uh, and that's Little Aiden. So three A's right there, and uh, they're the love of our life. So that's my little backstory. I've had one setback. One setback occurred in 2019 to show that this disease never goes away. What we're after is to try and build confidence and control over the condition. The setback I had in 2019 was in the US, went to a popular, but I won't name it, restaurant chain that is not a fast food place, but it uh, has uh, veggie burgers. And I ordered a big oily veggie burger with side of fries. And that bomb of a meal uh, caused me to to develop symptoms again the next morning. And this caused me a major setback because those symptoms went straight to the knee that uh, I had uh, worked so hard to get back under control. And uh, the inflammation at knee um, meant that I then decided to ride my bike again to try and clear the inflammation. A bike accident and I damaged the knee even further and had to get a knee replacement. I couldn't recover the knee. So that was a huge setback for me. And had I not eaten that meal, I believe that I wouldn't even be talking about uh, problems or I would I would just still have my same knee today. So there's a disclaimer that you've got to be real careful with this. And what I'm talking about here, it's super real. You know, this is, you don't become like a you don't make a fictitious character who has this 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 story and then you know runs off in the sunset. You got to live your life the way that you talk, and so that's what I do. So, <clears throat> how on earth can a diet affect rheumatoid arthritis? Well, let's just go through some some basics here, just for the a little reminder of some of the some of the key parts of the digestive system for those uh, who. Uh, who have better things to do than worry about this. It's a little dull list, but we'll get onto some interesting stuff in a minute. So we've got saliva in our mouth, which helps to become the first portion of uh, mechanism to break down our food. It then goes down through into our stomach where we have digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acids to help break down the food. The hydrochloric acid helps to break down our proteins in our food, <clears throat> which is important because it's proteins which later as we get down into the further into the intestine, which if they're not completely broken down and enter our bloodstream can become immunoreactive. So we need good hydrochloric acid to break down the proteins. This goes down into our 22 feet of small intestine and the small intestine does a good job of absorbing lots and lots of the nutrients of our food and continuing to break down the food until it ends up in the large intestine where we used to think, or scientists used to think, um, that the only port uh, reason we had large intestine was to withdraw water was left uh, in the in the meal back into the body to rehydrate and retain water. But now we know that it's one of the most crucial parts of our entire body because it has our second brain, which occupies tri trillions upon trillions of microbes. And these microbes play the most crucial role in our health in a way that just is so humbling to us as humans who think that we're in control of our lives and we have a have a have a certainty in our life but we are literally at the mercy of the bugs in our gut um and we'll talk about that in just a moment so you can see uh down here uh it says large intestine that's what we're going to spend our time talking about in just a moment it's this section here okay because that's where most of the bugs inside our body lie. And the reason they're there is because there's a lot of mucus and bugs like hanging out in mucus. And number two is there is a food source for them. And what they eat is the undigested food that our bodies have not used through the small intestine. So it's like the, 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 uh, the uh, compost heap of our body. Okay, so inside that colon, we have... Uh, a diagram here to explain. Now, I, I need to go into this level of detail. Because it, it's just trivial for me to say 
to reverse rheumatoid arthritis symptoms with diet, just eat that, 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 that. It's just pointless to do that because there's too much misinformation online for me to just say that and for you to have the deep, deep conviction, knowledge and understanding as to why. So that when you hit pitfalls and when it's not trivial, like we all sometimes feel entitled that it will be, we have this knowledge, we know the science so that we can fall back on it and say, I know I've got my concrete slab right. So I'm going to focus on other aspects, um, medications off, all these different things that we can talk about. So this is why I got to do this, this, this background science here. So as we see, this is the this is food particles passing through the colon. These are ones that have not been uh, completely uh, assimilated by our body and have ended up in the colon. Most of it's plant fiber, which our bodies don't break down. However, our gut bacteria love plant fiber. That's their primary source. As we look here, we've got a layer of micro microbial biofilm that sits over the top of a mucus layer. This mucus layer is really, really important, and that's where most of the bacteria sit. And then there is an inner mucus layer that's thicker, and it protects us um, from having all this stuff going into our bloodstream, because this epithelium, which is um, a, 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 a string of adjacent cells protect what's on the inside of our gut from getting into our bloodstream, which is a sign. Now, this is if you're building the human digestive system and this this was some kind of like, uh, um, you know, schematic and you went to your boss and said, hey, what do you think of this? You get laughed out of the room because the the protective layer is only one cell thick. All right. So it's microscopically small. And that layer has to protect you from things getting into your bloodstream from all the stuff that we put into our mouth. That's why the mucosal lining is so important because it protect it adds that extra protection from all these food particles and bacteria from getting through past the epithelium and into your bloodstream. Just on the other side, uh, uh, cell wall is your is sixty to seventy percent of your immune system, and so this is a very very active part of our body, where uh, it is a, a really delicate process where we are out of control, meaning that it all comes down to things that we can't physically touch and feel. We have to only influence it through our dietary and other habits to then get the secondary benefit uh, and, and, uh, and, and so on. So that's what's going on there. Now, what we're, what we're aiming to do is eat lots of plant fiber. And doing that, these act as what's called prebiotics. We've heard of probiotics. They are the actual bacteria that exist in our colon, but also the ones that we refer to as we're buying shelf products to add more bacteria to our gut. These uh, probiotics then have uh, metabolites or things that they produce after they uh, uh, consume the plant fiber. Those metabolites or end products uh, are called postbiotics. So we've got pre, that's before the bacteria. We've got the bacteria themselves. Then we've got after the bacteria, the postbiotics. Crucially, the postbiotics include short-chain fatty acids. And this is absolutely essential. These short-chain fatty acids act as fuel cell, fuel for the cells in your gut wall. They protect and uh, uh, the, the cells by fueling them to repair themselves, and also goblet cells, which are the mucus-forming cells. Um, but these postbiotics include vitamins, hormones, and amino acids. And these probiotics also interact with your immune system. So if your gut bacteria, you are going to have a, a shaky platform for your immune management. So what do we find with uh, rheumatoid arthritis patients? So Healthy micro, uh, microbiome, there are three aspects that are really important. We, first of all, um, need to control the disease-forming microbes because it's not just healthy ones that are in there. We can have some pathogenic ones. So we need to control those. We need lots and lots of healthy 
uh, microbes that can create those side benefits that we spoke about just on the previous slide, those metabolites, including main fatty acids, the hormones, the vitamins, and so on. And we need a high degree of diversity. So the American Gut Project came out a few years ago and said one of the crucial things to have a healthy human gut is lots of diversity of the, the microbes in your gut. So they're the three, three things, okay? So we need uh, control the baddies, lots of goodies, and lots of diversity. What we find with rheumatoid arthritis patients is they have out of control baddies, not very many goodies, and not much diversity. Okay, so all three are out of whack. All right. So not only that, it is considered amongst the scientific research more and more likely that dysbiosis, which is any of those three things happening, all right, any of those going off, the Dysbiosis can result in a situation where rheumatoid can be triggered by certain strains of bacteria. So a lot of research has been done around certain strains of bacteria that got a big red flag marked on them. Uh, e. copri, P. gingivalis, which is inside your mouth. This is the bacteria you get that causes periodontal disease and gum disease. And proteus bacteria, which is associated with female urinary tract infection. Uh, urinary tract infections doesn't mean that men cannot um, an Epstein-Barr infection and mycoplasma now each one of those five have been strongly associated with potentially developing rheumatoid arthritis the most commonly uh, accused is P. copri what they find is that when P. copri is put inside mice that have an inflammatory arthritis model that you get more, inflama more inflammation, more severe symptoms in those mice. So um, they suspect that the P. copri presence in RA patients is, is an aggravator, certainly associated with more symptoms. So that's something that, uh, that could be a trigger. And just recently in 2022, a new of bacteria was discovered that's owned patients with rheumatoid illness. And they use these complex science, uh, computer-generated based on samples from folks with RA. So they study who they they take a look at all the bacteria, and they found that there's a certain new strain that I'd never seen before. And when they put strain into a mouse, were able to create inflammatory arthritis. The first time ever that a uh, a, a demonstrated model of creating inflammatory arthritis has been achieved without loading the mice with inflammation, like by making it chemicals which cause it to have leaky gut and so on. And so what, what scientists have demonstrated is you can now create inflammatory arthritis from pathogenic bacterial in mice. Does this mean bacteria cause the rheumatoid arthritis in those rheumatoid arthritis patients from which the bacteria was found. We're not at that stage yet in the research, but this is becoming convincing. Okay, so what causes inflammation in joints? If we look again at, uh, if we, no, again, I haven't shown this slide before, sorry. So if we look at the really microscopic cross-sectional diagram of what our gut wall looks like. These are cells that are meant to be jammed together and the little villi sit on top. And then we're meant to have this big chunk of mucus sitting over it to protect it from food particles and bacteria that are floating around in your colon. What can happen is that stuff can move between these cells and get into the bloodstream. This is inflammatory and what the immune system does is attack those break those down and the immune response causes more inflammation at the lining of the gut here which allows more permeability or leaky gut to occur and the process continues one of the reasons it happens is because um, the mucosal lining gets depleted and the mucosal lining can be depleted through a number of ways. One popular uh, explanation for this is that when good bacteria are out of their fuel source, they can actually begin to consume the mucus as a result 
of being in a survival state. So your bacteria can consume your mucus, get rid of the mucus, and what's happening is there's no protective layer between the stuff on the inside and the uh, gut wall, and this is inflammatory, and uh, this is when we start to see openings happen here. And of course, if we are also starving our good bacteria of fiber, which they need, then there is not short-chain fatty acids to fuel the repair and reproduction of these cells to be able to help if they go into what's called apoptosis, which is cell death. All right, so that's what's not. Now, there's another factor here, which is LPS, which is endotoxin. This stuff is on the actual outer wall, some of the bacteria. This stuff is like, it's just like kindling onto an inflammatory fire. It's very, very inflammatory. So the endotoxin, when it gets into your blood, creates immune response and inflammation. Body. And studies have shown that the amount of lipopolysaccharide or LPS or endotoxin in the bloodstream correlates proportionally to inflammatory arthritis symptoms in rheumatoid arthritis patients. So what's happening is that in the simplest way of looking at this, stuff in the gut is getting up against the wall, gut wall, which it shouldn't because of the mucosal lining has been eroded. It's getting in the bloodstream. The body's becoming immunoreactive and, uh, and our joints can become implicated. Why are the joints implicated though? Because studies have shown that literally the bacteria from your and the LPS has ended up in joints where the body is attacking those particular foreign particles. And as a consequence, the joints are becoming hot and inflamed. So we've found in studies where bacteria and the endotoxin are in joints RA patients. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, and again, like recent research is exciting. There was a study in 2021 showing that the, the degree of leaky gut in mice was directly proportional to the amount of arthritic symptoms, right? So that's where that's where it's at. So if you have all this going on, dysbiosis, it can have impacts not just on the uh, joint inflammation via leaky gut, but it creates a negative mood. It it, it builds cravings for uh, poor foods, hormones, and it, it turns out that there's less of a dopamine response to exercise. Okay, so that is the world of rheumatoid arthritis. What causes all of this? Well, the number one thing at the top of this list, antibiotics, is a, is a big culprit. Uh, I took antibiotics for five straight years as a teenager for my acne. And then later on, when I was delighted to be asked to go and entertain the troops as a stand-up comedian uh, over in the Middle East through Dubai and Kuwait and even in Iraq, uh, I had to take anti-malaria therapy for three months. And that anti-malaria anti therapy, Chef AJ, was the exact same antibiotic, doxycycline, that I took for five years when I was a teenager for my acne. And what do you know, three months after getting back from deployment, I developed rheumatoid arthritis. And so I've looked into this extensively and found out that there is a recency association of antibiotic use with rheumatoid development, but there also is a cumulative dose risk association with rheumatoid arthritis. So I had both. I had a huge cumulative dose of antibiotics, and I also had a recency contributor as well because I'd only I'd had them all over again for three months prior to my onset. In our community, we have a community support platform called Rheumatoid Support, where we have hundreds of people that I, that I and some other coaches all uh, chip in and, and coach people. What and I, there's a there's a, a, a sort of a questionnaire at the start where people go through some questions, and what comes up all the time is antibiotic use for teenagers uh, as a teenager for acne. Um, so Roaccutane or just the doxycycline like I took, other variations of antibiotics, it's very, very frequent. 
But other, but there are other causes for this, like steroids, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, proton pump inhibitors like antacids. And by the way, that that those steroids, non-steroidal antacids, they're all commonly used in rheumatology. So some of the drugs you get given for the disease actually make you worse, and the medical community are not aware of that connection, or at least they uh, they 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 don't make that obvious when uh, when the prescriptions are written to every patient. Um, stress, vitamin D deficiency, sleep deficiency, and alcohol can all contribute to dysbiosis, but we don't have time for those today. So let's just go on to dietary habits because there's still lots to cover and I've, I've got a, an eye on the time here. So foods that can exacerbate rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. So I'm going to read through these, but then I'm going to go deep into meat, dairy, and oils. All right, so that's what we're going to do. So again, I'm going to read through them quickly and then just focus on meat, dairy, and oils. They're the big three. They're the nightmares. So we need to talk about them. So I will in a moment. Let's look at the fourth one. Um, uh, oh yeah, I'll get to that later. That 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 bullet point's probably not in the best spot there. So we've got meat, dairy, and oils all contribute to dysbiosis. I'll show you the studies just shortly. But also coffee, uh, processed foods, and alcohol. So for the coffee lovers, I'm sorry to say that both decaffeinated and regular coffee intake is associated with an increased risk of rheumatoid arthritis. I'm sorry about that. Um, the problem with processed foods is that you've removed the crucial fiber needed for the colonic uh, short-chain fatty acid production. And alcohol is a disinfectant that's used to, uh, as Dr. Clapper always reminds us when he's on our, he's a guest on our live support calls. Um, alcohol is used to disinfect instruments before surgery because it kills bacteria. So do we really want to be putting something that kills bacteria into our body when we are so dependent on our bacteria for our immune system, our health and, uh, and, uh, and avoidance of autoimmunity? No, we don't. Um, I've got a few little sort of uh, uh, disclaimers around that uh, with red wine, but anyway, we don't need to go there. Uh, additional food sensitivities that vary from person to person is another challenge. So I'll cover that in, a, in an upcoming slide. So what happens is when you've got dysbiosis and leaky gut, some of the food particles that are leaking into your body actually create uh, food allergies because those foods are getting into your bloodstream and your body starts to become immunoreactive to protein in that food. And that's why you develop the food sensitivity. So we heal the gut via these strategies that we go through and we can reduce our food sensitivities. Okay, so let's look at meat. Uh, it's tough to, for people to give up their meat. And I understand that. I come from a farm where we used to eat meat three times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Dad was so proud of it because we didn't have to pay for it. Literally, like we'd be eating the animals on the farm. It's maybe not nice to hear about, but that was what we did. And I thought it was totally normal. And uh, one time I literally spat the bullet out. Like I'm, I nearly broke a tooth and I spat the bullet out onto my plate from an animal that had been, you know, uh, prepared for dinner. Uh, so that was the lifestyle that we were living and um, and so I didn't want to give up meat. I always thought I'd be too skinny if I gave up meat. I felt like it was the backbone for protein production and so on. So I'm not coming at this from a bias of environmental or ethical reasons. I'm coming at this, at least initially, purely from health point of view. And later, the other two components have become passions of mine. But from a health point of view, um, what's been demonstrated is with meat intake, a big cross-sectional study in 2021 showed that high consumption of red meat intake brings forward the onset of RA by nearly seven years compared to those people who are low consumers of red meat. A high meat diet increases leaky gut. Within a few days of eating high animal fats and overgrowth of microorganisms or bacteria uh, is that it occurs that's capable of causing inflammation in the bowel. Um, and if we eat too much excessive proteins uh, from animal foods, we can get toxicity of the bowel. And a, a published review of the impact of meat and rheumatoid arthritis states that meat and meat fat have been found to have one of the highest 
proprietary links to rheumatoid symptoms. So this is a review of all the literature, not just one study, but let's they've gone and looked at the whole body of science and said, meet the biggest associated problems with rheumatoid. And then there was a single study where a woman just stopped eating meat and got rid of her symptoms. And of course, animal meat contains no dietary fiber. So if we're putting anything in our mouth that does not contribute to the production of healthy metabolites by our gut bacteria or providing some other important phytonutrients or vitamins and minerals, then why would we eat it? Big fat fish, what about fish? Well, fish uh, information, it applies exactly the same as the rest on meat, with the exception that f- fish does contain the long chain omega-3 fats. However, there is a lot of reasons to avoid eating fish and simply to supplement with the algae version of omega-3s. Then you're avoiding the significant and real risks, according to the World Health Organization, of mercury and other heavy metal poisoning associated with fish and the complete destruction and de-ecosystemization, if that's a word, of the oceans that occurs with fishing. You can get all the benefits proven by science by algae omega-3 supplement. So um, we don't need to eat fish. Here are a whole bunch of studies that I've just mentioned. If anyone wants to see what they are, you can take a screenshot, pause the video, and you'll be able to check out the studies. What about dairy? Dairy could possibly be even more allergenic than meat or inflammatory than meat for RA. Um, just going through these in order, in one study, a woman just literally stopped and dairy and was able to turn on and turn off rheumatoid arthritis. Another study, when all dairy products were removed from the diet of patients with seronegative RA, about 50% of them went into remission. Okay, now, if you're eating dairy and you have rheumatoid, it's almost thrilling to me to be able to say, look, just go dairy and you might feel significantly better tomorrow. One of these low-hanging fruit scenarios. Okay, and then a study in 2018 found an associating between developing rheumatoid arthritis and a bacteria found in cows and dairy foods. So the bacteria that only in cows and dairy foods was associated with the development of rheumatoid arthritis in a mechanism I talked about earlier with P. gingivalis, P. copri, and so on. And cow's milk consumption was associated with increased gut inflammation, worsening of digestive discomfort, slow bowel movements, and decreased mental health. All right. So uh, I'll just for all that are on the next slide. What about bone health? It turns out that surplus calcium is not beneficial. Getting more than about 600 milligrams per day, which is easily achieved on a plant-based diet, does not make bone stronger. So you do not need to worry about that if you're on a whole food plant-based diet, as long as you're getting over 600 milligrams a day, which, as I said, is easy. And here are the studies on that. This is a real issue with rheumatoid, with uh, osteoporosis and osteopenia. And one of the most uh, uh, the best studies on this are around loading the bones. The reason we can develop osteopenia, osteoporosis with rheumatoid and osteo is because we don't want to walk on our sore knees and we're not want to exercise because it hurts but as a result we're not building bone density through exercise all right exercise is crucial uh, when it comes to bone mineral density now oils why no oils why no oils in the diet this we have to head in a different direction here and chef aj i've got a whole different presentation about this in the future it's going to be all about cell membrane health i gave that presentation as part of the mastering diabetes summit recently and was really really well received and i'm really looking forward to sharing that with your audience the real quick version for today to for completeness here is that all the cells in our body um of which we have like brilliant cells um, they are the building blocks of our body. And the outer membrane of cells does contain carbohydrates and proteins, but it does also contain fats. And these are polyunsaturated fats uh, and some saturated, fat, which we don't want too much of um, because it affects the breathing of the cell. But um, the polyunsaturated fat ratio is really important. And if we have too much omega-6 fat as opposed to omega-3 in the cell membranes, then the result of that is that when those fats are released into circulation, they can have different inflammatory responses in the body. So omega-6 
metabolites, omega-6 polyunsaturated fats, when released from the cell membrane, can be pro-inflammatory, and the omega-3 fats can be anti-inflammatory. Most people are aware of that. Uh, and what, what I can add to this equation is that in the past, um, well, first of all, most the, the, the ratios now we're seeing around the world for Western countries is that people's ratios are between 20 to 50 to 1. And they it, our evol- evolution diet, it's expected that uh, uh, based on ancestral eating that it was more like a ratio of 1 to 1. And it's currently believed that health healthy cells are up to a ratio of about 4 to 5, 4, 5 to 1. I had my the other day, I'm at 4.4. And in a prospective study involving almost 600 RA patients, the omega-6 to 3 fatty acid ratio was directly associated with unacceptable and refractory or stubborn and unmanageable pain and a ratio of 2 to 1 or 3 to 1 suppressed inflammation for RA patients. We need to get this ratio down, okay? So here are the studies on that for the real researchers in our audience. And it's hard to get it down when we're eating oils. So if we look at the table first, you can see these are common oils that are used in processed foods and are used in deep fry cookers or are used perhaps in stir frying at home. You can see that here we're omega-6. We want that uh, we want a low ratio. So here we've got ratio of about two to one, a ratio of, oh, gee, seven, four. <laughs> What's that, Chef AJ? That's a ratio of about, what, six to one or something? I don't know. This is infinite, 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 infinite. So, right? so it's just purely, purely omega-6s. Now, what's even worse is when you heat the oils, they become a free radical megabomb. So you're not just only... Um, creating an imbalance in your cell membranes, but you are adding a free radical megabomb to your body. And this really matters via a mechanism called oxidative stress, which is beyond the scope of today's discussion. It's another whole hour. Okay. So um, that's that, just trust me on that. Uh, that's, that's, you don't want that. All right. Now, olive oil and avocado oil are neutral they're slightly inflammatory from a omega to omega-3 ratio, or they have a slightly unequal ratio. But because most of them are made up of omega-9s, which your body produces naturally, they're not as pro-inflammatory as any of the ones listed here, which are the seed oils. However, we don't recommend them because we just have other reasons to, and I'll explain why. Here's why. So, All high-fat foods can promote inflammation when you are dysbiotic. If you are an inflamed state, inflammatory arthritis, you want to have only adequate fat intake, certainly no fat foods. Okay, So we know that dairy and all high in fat. People say, well, I'm eating lean chicken, no skin. Yeah, the fat is in the muscle of the chicken. It's still there. All right, So we can't get away from that. But high plant-based foods aggravate inflammation. And this happened to me when I was following a different person's, there was two people with books on back in the day when I was trying to reverse inflammation. And I was following one of theirs and they said on day four, eat like two avocados and I ate two avocados. And that created at that time in my life, the worst knee inflammation that I had ever had and i recorded a video of myself trying to walk which i use in other presentations so even high fat plant-based foods can aggravate inflammation so why do we need to have low fat because the following five bullet points and they're subtle more subtle and a lot of people get this wrong and they say chuck tons of chia seeds into your smoothies no no we don't do that when we're dysbiotic any high fat foods I've got twice there, I apologize, increase inflammation because endotoxin on the on the outer membrane of the pathogenic uh, bacteria is fat soluble. So it is therefore has an easier passage through into your bloodstream if you've lost your mucosal lining. All high fat foods increase oxidative stress via advanced glycation end products. Okay, so all high fat foods increase oxidative stress. And 
Uh, oxidative stress is one of the underlying causes of, of R8 that I'm not going to go into today. It's just a big topic that I will cover in future Chef AJ sessions. A fatty liver prioritizes the production of omega-6 polyunsaturated fats over omega-3. So if you're if you've had a history of high saturated fat intake, then your liver, which is where your long chain fatty acids are created for your cell membranes, prioritizes an imbalance of omega-6s over three. So you can become pro-inflammatory from a food like avocados. All fats increase the production of bile acid. Doesn't matter what sort of fat at all requires bile acid production to be created. And then we've got an interplay of gut permeability that could potentially play out. And the enzymatic demand of RA patient um, uh, may exceed the resources for patients with villous atrophy who have reduced pancreatic secretion. That's complicated. And I'm sorry to throw that at you like that. But what it means is that a study showed that people with RA don't have as many little um, uh, villi that are on the top of their cells, which are there for nutrient absorption. And when they've got a depletion in those, then they do, and the cells don't excrete enough stimuli hormones to create enzyme juices to break down foods. And as a result of this, we may not be properly breaking down fats. And that's a little little heavy science for this talk. But anyway, that's what's going on there. So these subtleties are crucial. And that's why we have a low-fat plant-based diet. So foods that do improve RA symptoms, um, we've got to eat prebiotics, which is any types of fiber, which creates our probiotics, which are healthy gut bacteria. The way to suppress these pathogenic strains is simply to have a lot of good guys. They do the job for you. And they create these short-chain fatty acids, which are fuel for your gut lining and goblet cells to create mucus. This reduces inflammation at the gut wall because there's no longer the pathogenic bacteria or the endotoxin presenting at the gut wall. And it reduces the colonic pH, more acidic environment, which makes it hard for pathogenic bacteria to thrive. This reduces leaky gut which means less stuff in your bloodstream. And then this improves rheumatoid arthritis because your body is not reacting to all that crap in the blood and, and it, when it reaches the joints even. Does this work? Well, if you only just ate a plant-based diet, um, which people have done in studies over the last 30, 40 years, it, apparently the medical community are a little slow in looking at this part of the research. Um, but in 2017, a review article meaning across looking at all the studies, said we should work to educate and capacitate patients with the benefits of eating more vegetarian and vegan diets, eliminate potential allergenic components, introduce more polyunsaturated fatty acids into their diet plan, meaning threes. What is a study on a four weeks on a plant-based diet, uh, rheumatoid patients experienced a change in their gut bacteria and the changes in the fecal or poo flora associated with improvement in rheumatoid activity. Another study showed four weeks on a low-fat plant-based diet, thanks to Dr. McDougall's research, was all it took to reduce rheumatoid factor by 10%, CRP by 16%. Booyah, why wouldn't you do that? Okay, another study. Um, um uh, that one I've shown, 2019, this is a lot, there's a lot on this screen. Um, I know that, so let me just read this out. Several studies have shown that joint pain and other RA symptoms may be modified by dietary factors. Excess body weight and diets that include animal products exacerbate RA symptoms from pro-inflammatory effects. On, in contrast, diets rich in vegetables, fruits, and fiber achieve lower body mass index, Lower, lower inflammation and help reduce pain and inflammation in patients. Studies have shown that the dietary fiber found in these plant-based foods can improve gut bacteria, increase the diversity, potentially reducing inflammation and joint pain. Okay, so what about a 2020 review study? Again, looking at all the science, these are independent reviews on the literature. 
Early manifestations of RA could be potentially delayed with dietary inventions based on the beneficial effect of vegetarian and vegan diets with, again, omega-3s. The long-term effects of these dietary manipulations could help in reducing RA disease activity, delaying disease progression, and probably decreasing the dose of drugs used for the treatment of patients, globally improving RA patients' prognosis. So the ideal dietary approach, should we just go bang, go and eat a whole food plant-based diet or is there more to it? Well, I can assure you there's more to it. All the studies that we've just looked at have just done a whole food plant-based diet. We can do even better than that. And I believe that's what we're good at is taking all the science from all the different studies, putting it all together with now the 16,000 people who've been through our program and all that feedback that I've received, if I, if I look at my help desk, we've got over 60,000 emails from people in the last seven years um, uh, corresponding with us and telling us what worked, what didn't work. And so this is what I believe we need to do to further improve a plant-based diet. We know that there are food sensitivities that are unique to people. Some people have trouble with corn. Other people have trouble with wheat. Other people might have trouble with sweet potatoes, even your favorite, Chef H. Oh, that so, would be a, that would be terrible. <laughs> I know it's a disaster, such a catastrophe. Okay, but what can we do about this? Well, what we can do is to try and at least get as much of the science into the diet as we can, and hit nine out of ten people perfectly, and then make some small modifications for the one in ten. So we want obviously the no meat dairy and oils. We need it to be low fat, but it needs to be adequate fat intake. Okay. So we don't want to be uh, not hitting our daily in intake of essential fatty acids. That's obviously unscientific. So we want to reduce metabolic acidosis by having alkaline forming, tons and tons of leafy greens, which are one of the favorite foods of your gut bacteria rich in enzymes to help you break down the foods, rich in potassium, which a study has shown has been beneficial to RA patients, lots and lots of water, which we know is crucial for uh, the hydration of cartilage, prebiotic fibers, and that, that I'll talk about in the next slide. And we want to throw in some, some selective antimicrobial, antifungal foods and temporarily make it gluten-free, nightshade-free and fructose-free just for the hell of it because we're going to get everything right in an elimination process. Now, we'll look at what that looks like in just a second after we look at prebiotic fibres. This is new information for our community. Uh, after I've done a lot of research into this alongside of a great pharmacologist, Dr. Paul Clayton, uh, has been really, really cool. So what he did, he ran some complicated analysis to show that leaky gut can occur anywhere along the bowel if we don't have the right particular fibers to feed the bacteria that live at those areas. So in the first start of our large intestine, we have the ascending because it's going the ascending colon. And here we have the FOS, the FOS, or the fructo oligosaccharides um, uh, fuel for the bacteria that live here. They ferment quickly. These things are shorter, complex chains in their molecular structure. So the bacteria eat them quickly, like num 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 candy, right? Straight at the start of the colon. Then the, stru the, the, the structures that are a little bit more complicated get consumed over here. Those structures are called inulin. And then as we come down the descending colon, the one to three, one to five beta glucans, um, a fuel source for bacteria that live there and finally resistant starch. And you can see I've taken this a step further. I've added foods that correspond to the sections of the colon. And as a result of this, um, I like to, uh, in our evolving recommendations and guidelines, materials inside rheumatoid solutions to incorporate these foods in the reintroduction process so that people can be covering all aspects of their bowel with a prebody fibers, all of which are cheap and available foods from the grocery store. Okay. So the ones that we like the most for this is uh, onion and garlic over here. Um, I really like, we've got uh, leeks, again, onions. I love garlic. Um, the uh, around here to uh, beta glue and the oats, especially. Uh, I like everyone to get onto oats for breakfast. They can. It takes a while because of a uh, uh, few reasons, but we get them 
can tolerate it's a big win the way we do that is to use very small servings of these foods at a time so they might only have one teaspoon of oats on day one two teaspoons day two and so on until the gut bacteria actually develop to match the food group that's being consumed and then resistant starch down here my favorites down here are bananas i eat bananas like a monkey okay so and quinoa with an r at the end that's because uh, i put that together about one minute before i hit go <laughs> what does the dietary plan look like well, here's the baseline phase of our program. We want to eat lots of buckwheat, quinoa, sweet potato, amaranth. I've not included it there, but it's part of it. Lots and lots of leafy greens, celery and cucumber juice, some seaweeds like dulse and wakame, onions, garlic, and some fermented probiotics in the terms of miso paste. This is like a this is the standard fare for seven days inside our program. And then we want to move food one by one by one per day until they can have a whole foods plant-based diet with minimum intake however optimized omega-3 to omega-6 so it's a while to get there and through this arrow this this arrow leads out leaves out a big gap there's a lot going on here in this arrow um you know with the reintroduction of foods and the inclusion of a lot of those prebiotic fibers how does this look compared to other diets that claim to be suitable for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so you can go on Amazon and look at rheumatoid arthritis diets, autoimmune protocols, and there's people on social media saying, would you believe I just ate 100% diet, carnivore diet, got rid of all my symptoms. In fact, there's some there's some uh, daughters of famous celebrities uh, who endorse this and have a huge following, and, and uh, there's a movement for this and keep all this stuff but how does it compare a to the sign and b health well together this table to illustrate that we want a diet based on the science to be dairy free processed fee free animal free free of oils and cooking foods. we naturally want to include food groups that are linked with longevity just because we have this disease we don't want to die earlier than we have to so we want to eat foods like legumes and so on that are linked with with uh, longevity um, we want to reduce oxidative stress which i uh, touched upon we want to optimize microbial species reduce intestinal permeability optimize our cell membrane polyunsaturated fat ratio potassium all of which supported by the science these are important things to reduce inflammation and we need to uh, don't step on the landmines that are associated with food sensitivities look at the failure rate of these other diets they're just atrocious when it comes to these and in the very few cases where people see symptomatic uh, relief from doing those diets titanic experience meaning that they have a temporary relief on a titanic boat and at some point it's going to sink and sink really really hard and i work with these people after they've been on that for a period of time they come to us and it's hard it's hard to get their health back on track because they've lost so many important species in their gut microbiome that are needed to break down healthy fibers to create short-chain fatty acids and other metabolites to serve and heal the gut wall. So uh, it can be done, um, but uh, uh, I would strongly avoid uh, uh, the use of the unscientific approaches, which um, may temporarily uh, help because they are avoiding food sensitivities. Okay, so if you're eating these things, radical elimination that aren't based on health and nutrition but the avoidance of these food sensitivities that are a result of leaky gut but eventually the microbiome diversity and uh, and health uh, deteriorates so what happens if you do everything that i have presented here and i think this is the second last or third last slide so we're almost done chef aj i know we're running a long session here and i i don't know if i'll be opposing or saying it's okay but uh, we're, we're almost almost done here um so if you do all of these things it'll improve gut health reduce oxidative stress uh sorry i should say there's a good chance that you can improve gut health reduce oxidative stress improve cell, mind cell membrane composition improve your joints potentially lower drugs sometimes tapering disease modifying drugs on the rheumatoid solutions podcast freely available on all podcast platforms 
you can listen to story after story week in, week out of our clients who come on and tell their stories about their disease reversal, their improvements and so on. And so there's uh, there's countless examples that you can enjoy listening to and be inspired of and all the other great things that you can see on this screen. Um, we do all of it over at rheumatoidsolutions.com. Uh, we're famously known for the Patterson program. Uh, I have wrapped the Patterson program into a more of a complete and uh, more of a service solution for people so that we can serve them with monthly live coaching calls. Um, also, we have now nearly 1,000 short uh, videos that common RA problems, everything to how can I improve my foot pain to what do I do? I've got low white cell count and everything in between. And it's all inside the rheumatoid solutions library component um, inside rheumatoid solutions membership. And the reason there uh, is because I've been interviewing rheumatologists and medical doctors on our live calls for years and found that I had all this information that could be chopped up into little bite-sized chunks and made searchable like Google. And I've put it all inside here for people who want to have the scientific approach to reverse inflammation, but also want to connect with myself and rheumatologists regularly and have a library of answers at their fingertips Oh, that was great. That was amazing. Thank you. I feel like I was at a conference and I'm really looking forward to the one on the oils because, you know, uh, there are a lot of people that avoid oils for different reasons. And so this will be very interesting. I just want to say thank you for mentioning things like, you know, caffeine and alcohol not being favorable for people with arthritis because it's touted as health foods for so many reasons. But people have to realize just because it's good for one reason doesn't mean it's good for everybody and for all reasons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Both, both of those I gave up years ago. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's important, you know, when you have this condition, it is just, it's absolute misery so much in life that you want to do everything right to feel better. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.